Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Damon Coppola, principal at Shoreline Risk in Washington, D.C. Damon, good morning. Welcome to Weekend Mornings. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Anita. I, uh, I heard, heard a bit about those, um, about those chilly mornings you're having. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you can say that. Do you, do you remember those days, Damon, when you were based here with your family and, uh, and you wake up sweating basically every day except for about two weeks out of the year? <laughs> oh, I remember them well. And I remember those otters, too. I miss those otters. All right. For those of you joining us on Facebook Live. You get to, you get to see my COVID haircut. Very nice. Very nice. Did you do that yourself? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Damon, there is what we have to do. <laughs> there's so much to talk about with you today, and we want to talk about this sort of nexus between um, cause and effect between COVID nineteen, climate change, political discord in the U.S. I mean, the, all of these things are coming together in a way uh, for you. I know that's very, very interesting, and might give us a little bit of, uh, of a different way of looking at things. Tell us what's on your mind. Oh man, it's it's like we're living in parallel universes sometimes. I mean, this uh, what just happened? It was crazy. Now, I mean, obviously there's always two sides to every story, and, and especially on hot topics like like the election, like we just saw. But I mean, what we're seeing here, it, it's it's different. It's we've made this huge jump. I mean, we we made this jump a while back where we went from just disagreeing on things. Uh, then to where we, we really started getting a lot more polarized, where, you know, we were on opposite sides of an issue. We couldn't find common ground. But, you know, with this, I, what we're finding is a change. Where people are actually getting totally radicalized. And, and for so what we saw in the Capitol last week, these were radicalized people. This is a huge group of people that, that were they're so serious about defending what they say happened at the election. And, and from what you see in the videos, uh, they actually believed they were doing the right thing when they stormed the Capitol. And, and even though every bit of evidence on the election is totally against what they're saying, I mean, that's what radicalization is all about. Well, it is so interesting. Like, hey. it, it is interesting, if I can just jump in, because we do want to make sure that it, you know, it is yeah. understood. There were a whole lot of people that were protesting peacefully, that were there, not breaking into the Capitol, that, you know, uh, you know, waving flags, and they were, some people were praying, others were singing and chanting, and of course they were calling for, uh, you know, they believed that Donald Trump had legitimately won the election, etc. Uh, but it was a relatively small group that actually stormed the Capitol and did damage and were threatening to kill uh, legislators and the vice president and, and others. Is that, uh, that's what I'm seeing. Is that correct from your perspective? There, there were. I mean, relatively small. It, it was a large, it was a, the largest breach into the Capitol we've ever had. It, it's, and the fact that it happened at all is, is phenomenal. And the fact sure. that, um, again, what we're seeing is that these people feel justified that, that what they did was to not only protect America, but to protect their worldview. It's, again, radicalization is when, when people say, if you don't agree with me, then you're the enemy. It's not just that I don't agree with you. It's that if you don't agree with me, you're the enemy. Right. And, and that's, that, that's language we heard. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Damon, I just want to ask because obviously I've been on, you know, online and I've been on Twitter and I've been seeing a lot about the far left left and so on and so forth. So it's all radicalization. Mm -hmm. There are different streams of radicalization actually happening in the U.S. Is that fair to say? Uh, There are. I mean, I I think with the way things are going now with information, 
it's all sides and it's it's this uh assault on the truth the the change in the way that that we gather our own information uh that the way the that we rely on on um on social media to give us equal weighted information to uh, peer-reviewed journal articles and, and scientists and mass media um that's that's not just that's not not just the far right it's radicalization happens on both sides I, is it fair that I we... I wouldn't think it's one side or another. Yeah. Is it fair that we use these terms, though, as well? Because what I, I gather is that when we call something something, uh, we actually minimize being able to cut through it, like using the word radicalized, for example, or, for example, the word terrorist or any of those words. We, 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 I feel sometimes when we use certain language, we reduce our ability to actually go in there and find out or the desire to find out why it's actually happening. Well, the, the term radicalization refers to the actions that were taken, but it's you know I do think it's it's more than just something so severe as as attacking the Capitol. I mean, when people take a position like this, whether it's who won the election or or whether COVID hoax or you know, like with my books, I write books on climate change. It's whether climate change is real. I mean, the people who are um, beyond polarized, who are who are actually radicalized against an issue, they're so convinced that their government is lying to them, or or that their friends and even their families are lying to them. Mm. I mean, you can give these people all the information in the world, but it's not going to change anything. Um, you know, and especially with climate change, which is the area that that I've experienced the most, and, and more recently with with disaster risk management than COVID. But these are way more complex issues than, than what we saw with with the uh, with the elections. The elections, it's clear cut. I mean, you should we should be able to look at this election data, look at sixty court cases, and say, all right, there, there's no evidence that that this wasn't a, that this wasn't a legitimate election. But that doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, for a lot of people, there is uh, that that evidence doesn't matter. Um, you know, with climate change, if we take a, a sky-high look at the climate change, we're going to see that 97% of scientists agree that climate change is, is real, and there's 3% or less that, that don't believe it's real. And we would love to say, okay, it's 100% chance that climate change is real. We can't do that. Science doesn't work that way. I mean, we don't get to have facts with science. We get evidence. And if you're going to deny that 97% of scientists are right, I mean, you're, you're betting on really long odds. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to jump in there and just say that I think the reason for it is the way in which the facts or the evidence is actually presented to the world, to all of us. I know for me, when I'm trying to look for things to find out because I want to know and I would like to have a better and more informed decision or an idea, uh, it's very hard to find the information, Damon, because... It's buried, you know, the way that we are reporting, yeah. the way that we're showing things. And what is missing from our ability to actually have a cognition around what is real and what isn't? You know, so, so I work in, in disaster risk management, and, and it's a field that, that really is all about trying to minimize how uncertain that we feel about uh, something, and we do that by, like you said, we gather, we go out, we find information, we gather as much data as we can, and we try to see what makes the most sense. And in none of these situations, we have a crystal ball that's going to, you know, you said it before. There's, there's all the two sides, and you said then there's the truth. 
there is no crystal ball that's going to tell us the truth. I mean, it'd be awesome. If, if I had a crystal ball as a risk manager, I'd be the best risk manager in the world. But really all I can do is try to find what I believe to be the most valuable information and then present that we try to make a decision. Now, as individuals, we don't do that. I mean, we do things a lot differently. I, I think we can all be pretty honest with ourselves, whether we like it or not, that it's our nature to, to cherry pick what we what we know we're here so that we can tell ourselves what it is that, yeah. that we're trying to do is, is a good choice. Uh, you use two even words. Even if deep down sometimes, it's not a good choice. And, and I mean, I, I like to scuba dive, and, and I've had a few close calls, but I'm going to keep telling myself that it's a good idea to scuba dive, even though I know it's one of the questions my life insurance company asked me. And I can find lots of information that says scuba diving is bad, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick and choose that information that says it's good. But that doesn't make me radicalized. Right. I'm just giving more weight to some pieces of evidence over others. Uh, we don't call that evidence fake news, or we don't call it a hoax. And that's what these people are doing, and that's what's different. It actually makes them feel righteous about it. And, you know, you talk about where you get I read, you know the time that Facebook is to blame? Because, you know, everybody's got this crazy uncle that suddenly has the same power as, as uh, the New York Times, like I said. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, or because all these people's crazy uncles are, are meeting each other and finding each other, and they're making a movement, and uh, they're making all this baseless information seem real, like that COVID defraud, uh, and, and that's feeding it. But this goes way way beyond. I mean, we, we had this problem before mm-hmm. Facebook, so it's it's more than just Facebook. It's the to that. We're talking with Damon Coppola, principal at uh, Shoreline Risk in Washington, D.C., uh, about this uh, nexus of of COVID, of political unrest, of political uh, new political speech patterns, and also what it means for climate change as well. And interestingly, Mike Ang, uh, one of our viewers on Facebook Live, just commented, high income equality and unemployment due to automation resulting in job losses, etc., are root causes of insecurity and fear. And uh, whether or not uh, it's only those two or many more factors, I believe Mike is right in that there are a lot of societal uh, pressures and economic pressures on people that might be forcing them to adopt a worldview or a country view that that is feels comforting to them. What what have you seen in that regard? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if we're, if we're going to try to figure out what it, what it is that that people um, why why do people take these these views? Like you, we run into these people all the time. I mean, I got to say, is I, I don't even I don't like to say anything even remotely political on Facebook, and right away you're going to find that person who seems crazy, and they're, they're coming at you. And, and, again, we've got members of our family sometimes, our friends that are just like, you know, you, you get challenged by them. I think when it happens, you know, Anita, going back to what you were saying before, the first thing that we have to do is we have to, it sounds crazy, we've got to ask ourselves, are we the crazy ones uh, in, this, in this conversation? Because this effect is happening on, on all sides. I mean, this it, it it goes both ways, and and we can tend to uh, just by human nature, we can tend to seek out things that that we see as as agreeing with our worldview. But um, you know, barring that, if if you're in an argument with someone and, and they're saying it's raining and you're saying it's dry, I mean, you look out the window and it's dry. Mm. Uh, you you know, like you've got enough evidence to go with what you've got. But beyond that, you find out that okay, you're not the crazy ones. Uh, the, the person who wrote it is exactly correct. I, I have a friend who says, uh, he, my friend Ryan, 
he's another emergency manager, and, and he's really smart with these things. He says, you know, when someone's really amped up about something like this, you have to try to look behind what they're saying and what they're so upset about. And, uh, and he says, you got to find the extension cord that's feeding this with the power. Mm-hmm. If you can follow the extension cord back, then you find out what it is that they're passionate about. They're probably not passionate about whatever it is that, that they're denying. Yeah. They're probably passionate about this other thing. I mean, that, a quick story. I was, I'm, that, that's just on I was on a panel about climate change at, at NUS about three years ago. And after we all spoke, this guy in the front row stands up um, at the Q&A, and uh, he starts getting really aggressive with all of us um, on the panel. We were talking about disasters, you know? Not, not just really about climate change, but uh, he stands up and he's like, how can you all sit up there and say that climate change is real? I and mean, he, he is adamant. And uh, we went back and forth with them for a while. And it, it turned out that, that this guy owned all this property in on the coast in Florida. Hmm. And I think it scared the heck out of him that if you know if climate change is real, he might have made a really bad decision, a really bad investment decision. And, and yeah. to believe climate change is to put what's important to him at risk. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I would follow that. Yeah, I follow that train of thought very, very uh, um, closely because uh, people reveal what they really care about or what scares them uh, or what angers them in what they actually um, make claims about. Hmm. And I think we were having this conversation a little bit earlier. Yeah. You know, when we look at... Um, the impressions that we're getting of one another. We're getting um, a few seconds of impressions by a few lines of text on a two-dimensional, one-dimensional digital um, apparatus. You know, we don't really know each other. We have no idea. But I know how I feel. And I think what it is is that perhaps we have to look at it, take a big step back and look at it as in culture today, people don't feel heard. And the more a person doesn't feel heard, the more they are going to try to push forward their point of view, yeah. even if it, even if there is no evidence, even if there is nothing there, because we've actually lost touch with having that, um, with having a variety of viewpoints to come to a sort of a kind of a conclusion. What we have, and you used two words earlier, and I, and I wrote them down, which is we have the polarization and then we have the radicalization. But what came before polarization was actually the conversations. Mm. And we, have, we yeah. have lost that. And it's not at the art. It's about the urgency and the interest. And also a lot of what happens online is this you know, if you're not with me or against me and the whole cancel culture, which comes both from the right, the left and the middle, is that often people attack one another by the words that they use, not bothering to find out what the sentiment is or, as you say, the cord and what energy source it's actually attached to. Yeah. There's just not enough space for it. Yeah. Hey, Damon, um, you've got about a minute left <laughs> to respond to that. Uh, give us some final thoughts on this topic. Uh, give, maybe give us some hope. Where do we go from here? Well, I mean, before I give you the help, I'll tell you, it's one of the craziest things I've seen out of all this, especially with the COVID denial, is we've got these people who, who are COVID deniers who, who catch COVID, and they're dying in a bed, and they'll be interviewed, and they still deny it. They, they've got it, and they're dying of it, and they will, they will die from this, denying it. And we, gotta, we have to recognize we're all the, we can give these people all the information in the world, and it's not going to change their mind until we truly understand, again, what, what that basis is, and, and we can do that. Um, what, what's making this person suffer? 
and try to address it from that angle. But, yeah. but, but going, going head-to-head on the denial issue, never going to happen. No, we'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, in the end, we're going to be fine. I, I see that, you know, I see that uh, uh, Joe Biden just elevated the position of the science advisor to the White House. That's fantastic. That's a great start. Uh, 74 million people who don't trust the Biden administration, not going to listen to him. So it's a start but we need to rebuild trust in the media. That's 100%. We start doing that. We can start countering um, this, this, this message that, this counter message that we have, that the media uh, is, is a hoax or the media is a lie. Um, that's, that's a start. So having, that, having on the inside with the science advisors, so the decision-making evidence-based, and on the other side, rebuilding our faith in the media, rebuilding our faith in science. We'll get there. Damon Kobola, thank you so much. As always, great to talk with you. We're going to have you on again uh, real soon to, uh, to further explore this as we get into the Biden administration as well. Thanks, Damon. Appreciate your time. The otters send you their love. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> to listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.